1: How fun was it to cheer for the Knicks in the 90s? What expectations do we have for this year's Knickerbockers? What kind of man has the balls to do a Rain Man impersonation in front of Dustin Hoffman himself? The only question left is, say it with me, you win... Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Uh, Today I'm extremely excited to tell you about our latest guest, John Henson, who is joining us and if you don't remember him or you should, then you you had seen him on uh, as a host on Talk Soup, Wipeout on ABC and a couple other shows you probably haven't watched and he's also going to be coming on Worst Cooks in America on the Food Network. So, John, um, really excited to have you. Uh, what's happening these days?
0: Uh, well, listen, uh, uh, you know, my Food Network show starts airing this Wednesday, but if believe me, if there were a Worst Hoops uh, uh, edition <laughs> of uh, a television show, I'd make that as well.
1: So is it safe to say, do you play basketball?
0: Not at all.
1: Okay. Um, but you are a fan, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, I'm a diehard fan. Basketball is uh, is is the the uh, the chosen sport for me and my household. You know, Uh, I got little kids, so uh, I picked basketball because there's very long season. Ah. Um, and, uh, and you know what, man, uh, I, I kind of, I was reared on those nineties teams of, of the Knicks in New York city and, uh, a diehard Knick fan. And, you know, it's, uh, it's been a long, dark winter for Knick fans for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously this is a year that, uh, people are, uh, are trying to make the most of, uh, getting excited for this season and this squad.
1: Well, this is good because I grew up in Chicago in the you know '90s basketball, maybe a little '80s too, but um, certainly uh, being a Bulls fan, uh, I would have to say there were many a Bulls Knicks game that ruined Mother's Day and or Father's Day, um, where we would go sit through a the most intense grind of a game of all time, and I would ha- I swear to God, then we have to go out for dinner for either Mother's Day or Father's Day. And I swear, like, me and my dad would be screaming at everybody in the family. It was just a horrible thing.
0: Does that <laughs> sound was, familiar? It was an exhausting uh, rivalry. And I, you know, I've told this story once before, but I, you know, I got so invested in those teams. I almost went to jail the night Reggie Miller uh, <laughs> scored uh, his whatever it was, eight points and a nanosecond. Uh and, uh, I was, I was playing a, a college, small private college in Ohio, and, uh, I lost it so badly that, uh, they thought I, uh, I had somebody in the room. I was staying in on-campus housing and they sent the police down to check on me <laughs> and I had to explain to the guys, you don't understand, Matt, you see what Reggie Miller just did. And I explained it and they let me go.
1: Oh wow! It doesn't. It seems to me that you might have experience being able to talk your way out of things like that.
0: Well, uh, that was probably as close as I've come to uh, winding up in handcuffs as a result of being a Knicks fan. But <laughs> you know what, man? Uh, we've had. You know, if you're a Knicks fan, you learn to take on all comers.
1: Who was your favorite player from that era?
0: Well, obviously, you know, I have a soft spot for Patrick Ewing. I I think it's a shame that he doesn't um, necessarily get the credit that he deserves, both within the marketplace. You know, New York fans uh, are notoriously hard on their stars, and they had a love-hate relationship with Patrick. But... You know, when you look back and uh, and you think about how long that guy brought it and how uh, dedicated he was, how professional he was, never embarrassed the franchise, you know. Um, And, I, you know, one of the things that I really loved about those that that era is I, I felt like those were guys that had, you know, B plus talent that played with A plus intensity. And they were able to will themselves to be greater than the sum of their parts through effort and toughness. And that, you know, that was a, a, a perfect fit for that city.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I hated them so much. But I, I, I respond to what you're describing as well in a way that I'm sure if I really studied the game, those games now, from my perspective as a coach now, I would yeah I would respect that and like it. The funny thing was, is you know, the most hated man in Chicago for those years was John Starks. I, I would right. have to imagine, but I liked him. I, I was the guy that would defend him because no one in Chicago wanted to acknowledge that he was actually good and right. he deserved. He shouldn't be in the NBA. He you know, he had tooled around for a while, like in the, the original CBA thing. And dude, he was bagging groceries. You're right, he was bagging groceries, and uh, and, and he was you know undersized. He was a two guard, all these different things. But I that I responded to him because. Like how I used to remember saying, "Like, how many more shots does he need to nail in like Michael's face or anybody else's face before you accept that?" And it was right. a huge argument for to the point where I, I still remember vividly having that argument several times. Uh, definitely, my, my like my favorite guy just because of what you described.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, when you look at footage of the dunk. You know, I I really, truly believe that guy suspended the laws of physics through sheer will, you know, because (laughs) it's a guy who just had no business being up that high. I, I wonder if he's ever been that high in his career.
1: You know, as I remember, there was some contact as well. Where did he get a little extra elevation from, like the defender, or is that my? I
0: he kind it? of he went over two guys, right? He went over Horace, wasn't it? Horace and yeah. uh, and uh, wasn't uh, was it Pippin? It wasn't Jordan, was
1: it? I mean, it might have been like Cartwright. Like, like, I mean, you know, if only there was a, a thing that you could like type into and look up and watch thing on a screen. Oh yeah, yeah. We would be, we <laughs> would actually be
0: able to yeah, do that. No, and it's just the baseline aspect of it. It looked like he was too far behind the basket i mean it was the whole thing looked like uh you know it wasn't gonna th- but that was that whole era i mean i the only time i've ever cried during a basketball game was larry johnson's four-point play you know larry johnson's four-point play alan houston's runner i mean that era for us was marked by some uh, very impactful plays that you know weren't in the finals.
1: Yeah. Okay. I I just looked at it while you were talking, by the way, and it's it's mostly over Horace. Maybe Michael kind of flies in their way at the end there, um, but yeah, that, that was a crazy dunk. Now let me ask you this because you mentioned Allen Houston, and this came up on Twitter today, where someone was like, "I should do a video comparing um, Clay Thompson to Allen Houston."
0: People always talk about Houston having one of the purest strokes ever, you know, that he was, you know, such a beautiful shooter. And that was supposed to be the thing that was going to n- enable him to make that comeback a few years ago. And it was oddly private and short uh, lived. Um, nobody ever really discussed it. And, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'd be interested to just look at the footage because just because of how heralded he has always been.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, which is, this is all bringing back memories of. I mean, I remember there was a play, uh, speaking of Houston, that you, you probably remember. Uh, the the Bulls were up by one long down court pass with like three seconds ago. And Kerr, instead of grabbing it out of the air, just decides to tap it out, thinking the clock's going to run out. And it went right to Houston for a yeah, wide yeah, open, yeah, yeah, like 20 yeah. footer. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, I mean, that, it, it just. Like, and that was just one of, like, a dozen kind of plays like that between the Bulls and the Knicks.
0: Yeah, there were some really fun storylines. Like, even when the Knicks played Houston in the finals, I mean, you know, people forget that, like, Derek Harper was such a junkyard dog defensively that he, you know, he kind of shut uh, 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 Smith down. Like, there was, like, talk that he had, like, ended his career. Like, people were (laughs) like—I mean, he just, like— owned him in the finals you know mm-hmm. um yeah that was it's also painful and, and and you know i i, I think uh, uh jordan himself you know acknowledged that if he had not been born at the same time as as uh, jordan ewing would have a couple of rings but when you look back on that team and you think you know who was supposed to be his number two guy, John Starks. Like, you know, it's the fact that that team was as good as it was. The fact that it went to the finals four years apart, you know, uh, that, that says something because he did it almost single handedly.
1: You know, I mean, it's good, it's a good point. The funny thing, I, well, the other guy, if it, if John Starks is my one A, then the one B would have been Anthony Mason because he was the guy that I just, he just, I just would freak whenever he got the ball was I didn't even want to watch because he was he was that good and that strong right yeah you know he was almost like the stretch four in a way without the original
0: point forward yeah yeah (laughs) at Riley I think it was the first time anybody had ever heard that term you know when he went down to Miami
1: yeah a point forward yes and, uh, and he was just like – and, you know, he just died recently, unfortunately. We don't get a chance to see enough of Anthony Mason's highlights. But, uh, you know, that was the guy who just made me cringe whenever he got the ball and started doing stuff. And so, so you know, there were pieces, you know, and, and they certainly were molded. But – it's kind of weird because there are a number of players like that, and Carmelo sort of is in that realm now. Like, I don't think anyone in the last fifteen years has had worse teammates than Mel. Well, than Melo has, sorry, in, in New York, right? Right. No, right. no top whatever you want to call them, top ten. No top ten star has had worse star uh, supporting cast than Melo has the last five years. I don't think. Would, that, would right. you agree with that?
0: Uh, certainly, I'm sympathetic to that viewpoint. I mean, people excoriate <laughs> him, um, but uh, you know, when you look at what he did i mean just look at what he did last year leading the team in points rebounds and assists you know it's hard to look at that and focus on what you're not getting from the guy you know what i mean when when he's when when you're working with you know when you're starting jose calderon when you're playing sasha vujicic you know meaningful minutes i mean um uh uh you know it was uh it was hard to watch um, him do everything right, everything that he's being asked, and still, you know, being heaped with the same criticism. It's frustrating as a Knicks fan.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think we, we connected over the, the the triangle offense, you know, video I did. And, and, and what I noticed about um, watching the Knicks run it was the frustrating lack of execution, uh, the fundamentals, just Setting up your man before you cut, setting a good screen in the weak side, little things like that that, you know, a guy like Tex Winter, when he was there, would not let them get away with. And when you're looking at how the triangle has worked or not worked across the NBA since, you know, Phil and Tex were together, it, 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 while it's not, you can say it's not Phil, I think it's also not Tex, the guy that inter, that, that invented the offense. And so the question there is, is like, okay, were they doing it because they wanted to lose games? Like there was no incentive last year to do that. So um, anyway, so that was what I noticed about the the real issue there was the lack of fundamentals. And I can only hope that maybe Hornacek comes in there and, and holds them a little more accountable.
0: I'm curious to know, you know, to what extent you can uh, separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of uh, uh simple um effort and execution and uh a lack of athleticism. I mean, we our guard play was so bad last year, it, defensively and on offense. I mean, the the without dribble penetration, it it, it you are Fighting uphill, you know what I mean? And 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 I can see that bleeding into without, you know, it's almost like being without one leg of a, of a stool, you know what I mean? And and uh, and so with that handicap, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it did affect their enthusiasm running it, but it's not going anywhere. So they might as well put some effort in um, <laughs> because, uh, you know, doesn't seem like Carmelo is going to take a ticket out of town.
1: No, I don't think so either, and I think that, you know, looking, and they had some promise there because Jerry and Grant and Galloway did show a little bit of that athletic ability, certainly young and energetic stuff, and I liked sort of where they were going, and if I'm not mistaken, they got rid of Grant, right, he's not there.
0: Yeah. And Gallo uh, left uh, for free agency. I mean, there's a there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of missing pieces. But, you know, I mean, I think at best we were hoping that those guys were going to develop into, you know, serviceable role players or, or rotation guys, I, I you know it's funny the same contract that everybody was bemoaning when we gave Robin Lopez oh my god you overpaid this guy he's mediocre a year later we trade him and they're like what are you doing you're trading away the cornerstone I mean you know I, I'd like to think and maybe this is rose colored glasses that Noah's contract in a year or two is going to look differently the same way Rolo's contract looked differently a season later and, uh, and uh, you know so uh, we we did have to give away some pieces, but, um, you know, I like keeping Lance and, uh, you know, there's uh, if we can get one of the Cosmingus, uh, Willie, uh, Herman Gomez kind of guys to, uh, to develop, I'd 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 take uh, the reshuffling of the deck with the amount of cap space we have next year.
1: Sure. Well, you know, and then the Knicks could do one of those commercials that we were going up where it's we've secretly secretly replaced Robin Lopez with Joe Kim Noah. Let's see if anybody notices.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, you know, uh, I, he's uh, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about the amount of toughness he brings, the leadership qualities, and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, I, I, there's so many questions. I think Nick fans. They're just excited uh, because we have uh, to borrow a poker poker term. We have so many outs. You know, if if just one of a few thing things happen, we're going to be a, a, an interesting team to watch. And if a couple of them happen, we could be a dangerous team, you know, and, and uh, it'd be great to get into that like six to eight seed and, and, and go into that first round and, and see if we can't steal a, a game on home court and make it interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean that's not a bad way to look at it. I think that maybe most Nick fans are expecting more. That sounds like they want to be 4th or
0: 5th, right? Uh well, you know, look, Nick fans go right to the top of the cage in terms of, you know, in a perfect world, could we be a 4 seed? Yeah, man, I my Nick fandom is sort of tempered with more uh, realism, you know. I think you and I talked about it. I'd be happy if they won anything 41 games or above you know and if they can um i I think this is a season to like you know try to look respectable try to show a system try to make it look appealing for who you're going shopping for and try to suss out who's worth keeping between d rose and brandon jennings and you know see what uh you know what you can do in terms of bettering your team you know People talked about, oh, Phil's breaking his plan, he's, you know, one year in, he's reshuffling. That seems ridiculous to me, and I had made the analogy, again, a poker analogy, that, like, you got a chance to draw three cards, you draw three cards. Like, every year, you're trying to improve your team and the chemistry, and um, so uh, I think he's left himself as much flexibility as you can leave while still taking some home run chances.
1: Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Derrick Rose thing is going to be interesting, and that will probably be the linchpin here, of whether or not they're going to do anything uh, significant. Um, although the other linchpin would have to be you know Noah. If Noah could be healthy and get back to what he did when he was a defensive player of the year, and probably the best passer out of the high post in the league, like those right. are two things that really drive well with like what Hornacek would probably gonna want to do when we get a chance to see his offense. So you know, it, this it's, it's time to be irrationally exuberant, right? This is our this is the this is the time of year where we can say that kind of stuff, and I get in trouble because the assholes on Twitter will find these tweets a year later right. <laughs> and tell me how wrong I was. So so we'll, we'll see. You
0: know- they talk about this being a league of adjustments. And I think, you know, I I think if healthy are starting five, it, it could be pretty scary. You know, the question is what happens when people make an adjustment and take that away? What do we have in terms of second units and bench strength and how well can we handle injuries throughout the season? That'll be what to me makes the difference between this being the, I told you so next season or the next season that fans want.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, but before we started this, I didn't ask if it was okay to talk a little bit about your TV stuff, but sure, can, yeah. you know, cause, cause you know, I, you know, you, you spent a lot of time with balls on Wipeout, but <laughs> what I want to ask you is how did you have the balls to do a Rain Man impersonation in front of Dustin Hoffman?
0: You know, that was, uh, all improv, man. He was, mm-hmm. uh, that was really fun. He came on the show. We staged a hunger strike and got him on and, uh, and he uh, he came in and we we had a script, but he wanted to just sort of take the script as a leaping off point. And and uh, so, uh, yeah, I just uh, sort of threw it out there and he went with it. And uh, that was uh, that was a pretty, pretty exciting moment. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, definitely could feel the the improv in the air. Uh, you know, I used to do improv back in Chicago. How uh, oh, nice. So- so I'm a big and I'm always a big fan of seeing that that kind of reality and uh, yeah I, I and although it's just like yeah it's just you gotta have you gotta you, be able, you have to be able to go for it to do that with him of all people because and I love it because if you haven't seen that clip it's on YouTube uh, he goes does it right back and uh, and uh, you know if you close your eyes it's not easy to tell who's talking I gotta tell it's you I uh, it's a
0: little it's uh, it's dueling Rain Man <laughs> yeah, right yeah.
1: well dueling gay Rain Man if you want to be
0: accurate I guess <laughs> yeah that's right it is a little homoerotic yeah. <laughs>
1: So, uh, so, so, you know, you, 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 the, the talk soup franchise, you know, was certainly, you know, uh, a long running thing with a lot of, you know, you had a lot of big shoes to fill. Um, so what, what was that like? I mean, I guess you're, you're basically you are just sitting in a green screen, right? There's now there's nothing behind you. And you're, yeah. There is an audience, though, right?
0: Uh, No, no, there was not an audience. It was just crew guys sitting around. People that you heard were just the guys that I worked with. And and, uh, it was a pretty humble little production, you know. And uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I was a huge fan of the show and Greg Kinnear before uh, I came to the show. Um, But, you know, we were, uh, it was, it was the perfect mixture of like class clown mischievous. It was, it was as if, A bunch of guys uh, found themselves alone in a TV studio and uh, and said, I wonder if we can get away with doing this before somebody catches us. And that was kind of, you know, the 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 battle flag of our uh, era of talk soup. We just kind of it was the lunatics running the asylum.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny about that is that you kind of it was ahead of its time in a way, because this is the kind of thing you would see on YouTube
0: now. And the original way to get viral videos.
1: Yeah. yeah, and so because correct me if I'm wrong, but Talk Soup is no longer on the air, right? Uh,
0: well, Talk Soup went away before they brought Joel McHale on, and then they brought the show back as The Soup, which was a, a, a similar but different franchise. It was an adaptation, so instead of it being about the talk shows, it was about reality shows and anything online and um so they just sort of broadened the perspective of it and made it more current but yeah uh i think it's gone away now and um so so you Mikhail know, the, just
1: just drove it right off that cliff into a the Well metro. that
0: guy you know he's uh, <laughs> anything that guy steps into uh seems to succeed I, I think the world of him he's super talented very nice guy and and deserves all the success but yeah they uh they folded the tent and uh it'll be interesting to see if they find some New way to bring it back because uh, it's uh, kind of been a staple on that network for you know more than twenty years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so how long did you do it for? How many seasons?
0: I did it for four and a half years. I did about uh, uh, well over eleven 1, hundred episodes.
1: Oh wow, wow. So yeah, I mean, it's funny because uh, you know, did you feel like you had any idea what you were doing in, in the in the first you know however many episodes when you started?
0: Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I, no, I had no idea what I was doing, but I also was, uh, 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 too naive to really second guess myself. I mean, I was just so happy to have a job and it, the whole (laughs) show had a whole kind of like, let's put on a show in the barn. My mom made costumes kind of vibe. Like it just seemed very humble and sort of jury rigged. And, um, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we, <laughs> we never really knew what it was going to look like and, and the pace of production didn't really allow for a whole lot of laboring over it. Like you just moved on and went to the next show, you know, cause we were doing two and a half hours of TV a week. And, uh, so it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot. Or, man, is it three hours of TV a week? It was four half hours and then an hour. So yeah, it was three hours a week. So like, like how three long, writers? I mean, it was you know
1: how how many writers? Three
0: writers okay. when I got there.
1: Wow, and and you would probably be the fourth writer, right? The fourth. Yeah, year?
0: but I mean, like, dude, you look at the staff of, you know, the soup. Probably had, I don't know, I'm guessing eight or ten writers, you know, that were all gilled for whatever they did, a half hour a week or an hour a week. I mean, it was a lot of it was a lot of heavy lifting, man. It was a lot of you had to crank it up.
1: So like how many hours, how long would you have to prepare each show?
0: Well, you know we'd work on the script like we'd be prepping you know like uh monday we 'd come in and shoot, but then you know we'd be prepping the show for the next day and then when you got in, you know you got a script, you got in in the morning, you got a script, and it was very much like hey if you know if that joke isn't working for you, then write another one because we're shooting in forty five minutes and it was so it was it was very much kind of like gun to your head pressure in terms of cranking it out and then you know, oftentimes when we went into the studio, whatever we went in with in terms of a script became uh, kind of subservient to whatever felt fun in the moment. And we never hesitated to, like, you know, break the play and improvise. And um, so it was, yeah, it, w- it was a dream come true, man. It was just the best.
1: So so you were kind of like the mellow of Talk Soup here, where like you're right, bare bones. Not, you didn't have a lot of superstars on your team.
0: Well, uh, you know, I'll tell you this, man, I came into a very well run unit. I mean, those guys had been doing all of, uh, Greg Kinnear's era. So they made it uh, easy for me. I just had to sit back and, and, uh, try to write some funny jokes and, uh, and, and read them without laughing, man. And, uh, uh yeah, it was we're all still good friends to this day and uh I, I love those guys, man. We're sort of bonded for life.
1: Well so and your background then is in stand up and that's where you is that where yeah. they spotted you to to cash you in the show?
0: that's what I was doing when I got talk soup. I'd been doing stand up in New York city and, uh, recently just sort of went back to stand up and, uh, I'm working in LA now and traveling a little bit around the country, uh, headline and around the country. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm at the laugh factory here in Los Angeles every week. Um, the improv, I got a show coming up at the comedy store. So, um, yeah, man. Just trying to stay busy and, uh, and, uh, you know, not cut my fingers off on the food network. That's, uh, there, I will tease that there is a, a, a trip to the emergency room at some point during the season. I can't say any more than that. Oh,
1: okay. Is that, you know, bl- bl- when they say, red is green. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, to, to coin a, a very old uh, wrestling phrase. Uh, okay. So, um, so stand-up, so you started out in stand-up, and you're back to your roots in stand-up. Um, you know, was that easy for you as well, or was there a whole, you know, did that take a while to get you comfortable doing that?
0: Uh, well, stand-up, you know, I don't know that stand-up necessarily comes uh, 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 easy to anybody. It's a little counterintuitive, you know, nobody, uh, nobody necessarily looks at a... Uh, crowded club and, you know, things, I think maybe I will get up in front of 400 people and try to make them laugh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I it was a passion of mine and it was something that when I started, I was like, Oh man, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get good at this. And, and, um, you know, I, I think, uh, kind of w- with any pursuit, um, you know, there, you ha- you have a, uh, uh, delayed gratification where you have to really work at it really hard for a long time before you get good enough to really, uh, you know, uh, um, enjoy what you're doing. And, and so, uh, a lot of guys, uh, and women don't make it over that hump and stand-up. You know, you got to like really eat pro for, you know, two, three, four years before you get good. And I was fortunate enough to make it through that time. And, and it led to a bunch of other television for me. But I love doing stand-up. So it's been a lot of fun going back to it.
1: You know, is, is there any way to prepare yourself for the moment when you tell your, what you feel is clearly the funniest joke you've ever written and then and nobody laughs?
0: Uh, you know, man, uh, uh, I, you see it, the equivalent of it every night when, uh, you know, Derek Rose jumps to pass and that guy isn't where he expected him to be. And he walks back up court looking around going, how did that happen? You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, part of being a comic is uh, failing, you know, and, and, uh, and you're gonna, you you know, e- even the best comics are going to eat it every once in a while. It's kind of like a uh, part for the course.
1: I, you know, that's a great analogy. The show must go on. You turn the ball over. You got to get right back on D and get it back.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: And then I guess you can kind of, you get hot as well, right? Even like the the, the littlest throwaway thing could be hilarious after enough jokes in a row.
0: Yeah, I mean, there really is uh, there there is a zone in comedy. You know, you can get in the zone and uh, and the game slows down for you a little bit, and you're sort of in the matrix, and you can see it all <laughs> unfolding. You know, um, yeah, I've definitely uh, experienced that. Um, but you know, I think that kind of comes with doing uh, anything that you love, and and um, you know, uh, you, you try to uh, you, you try to. Uh, you, you know, like anything, you, it takes you a while to get good at the basics and then you sort of move up a level in terms of difficulty and subtlety of your appreciation of what you're doing. And, and uh, and I, you know, honestly, Nick, that's why uh, uh, you and I connected as I reached out saying, you know, that I actually feel like I'm learning from watching the videos because as a guy who didn't play organized ball, um, you know if you want to break through uh, that sort of cursory knowledge of the game you kind of got to apply some time and really concentrate to try to understand why people make these cuts and what that player movement leads to and how that action unfolds because you know I have a, a greater depth of appreciation for the game when I watch it
1: Wow cool yeah I mean that that's what people have responded to It's been really great to have this space to do it in where you know, 15 years ago, I couldn't, this wouldn't have happened. You know, it's an amazing time right. where we live in, right? Where, you know, and, and it's led me to all sorts of crazy ex- experiences with like, you know, I, I was in the court Jerry West last year, like guarding him while he's showing me footwork. I mean, wow. crazy stuff.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, I think the internet has kind of, um, uh, 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 challenged what people would, uh, what you would consider sort of the linear progression of a career where you start at the bottom and learn each rung and work your way up because now you have the ability to reach an audience and and just sort of backdoor cut your career and, and, and go right to uh, to the top. You know, kids that uh, don't need to get into television now, uh, at a PA level, they can use their smartphone, get 3 million followers and all of a sudden they're off and running and they got a career.
1: Now you're making me feel terrible because I was that PA for all those years, driving cube trucks and uh, and in the vans
0: uh, and everything. Dude, I'm the same way. I'm like, it's really great that you guys came up with all this right after I just spent 25 years learning the industry from the ground up that now we're going to decide. You know, I feel like uh, Jaleel Okafor. Wait a minute. <laughs> Nobody wants a big man anymore. He's just going to pound the ball into the ground and slam my back into you. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, oh, if we can get on, if we're still on the get off my lawn routine, then then uh, I was hanging out with one of my best friends from college. We had a local access TV show that was all sketch comedy. It was basically, remember Tom Green? Yeah, it was. We were doing that like two years before he was, but they didn't have any way for us to, you know, besides this, you know, local access in Madison, Wisconsin to show it to. So, right. uh, you know, we were just lamenting that. Uh, but uh, but again, here we are in this long um, slum slum millionaire style of, you know, circuitous journey to get to where we're going. And it all it yeah. all means something. Right.
0: Uh, yeah. By the way, I've spent a fair amount of time in Madison. Uh, my uh, my old co-host John Anderson is uh, from Wisconsin, and I've uh, done his uh, his charity up there and uh, uh, spent a little time up there. It's really nice.
1: Oh yeah, it's uh, it's you know it's a really good college town. In fact, I think it was like the best college town they voted at some point. Certainly the the best party school at some point in that in those era. Uh, although, again, I miss that as well I miss the coked-out, crazy 80s stuff Right You know, because I, I got there in 1990 And everyone's like, oh, you just missed it, man and yeah. that, I, that, that, that By the way, it doesn't even sound that good But they made it sound good at the time uh. Yeah.
0: And, and from what I'm hearing uh, now, adolescents are among the most depraved Roman uh, kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> completely uh, cut loose people. Like, I miss that period. I miss free love. I miss this newfound, uh, you know, hypersexuality. It's like we, we just sort of slip through the cracks, you know, uh,
1: you know, every day. I think that I mean, how old are your kids, by the way?
0: Uh, my kids are five and three.
1: All right. So, like my daughter just started 7th grade, so I'm all, I'm getting those emails and those sexting whatever in 7th no, grade no. stuff and um and so yes, I I can only imagine, but but to 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 take it a less personal, yes. There's no question that there's a whole world out there that we got to miss. And um right. and uh you know, oh well, I guess we'll have to somehow uh You know, come up with another way to overcome those issues, right?
0: (laughs) Uh, Listen, uh, you know, just uh, all the resentment just is fuel for the comedy fire. I live off of it.
1: Oh, you know what? That's why I don't like Russell Westbrook. (laughs) What's that? Because he got to live this crazy life in college that I didn't get to live with all
0: the. Oh, yeah, that's fair.
1: That must be exactly what it is.
0: That's fair. Well, uh, well, listen, man. We'll have to circle back around once the season starts, so we can see how the rubber meets the road with this new squad and how it's all coming together.
1: Absolutely. Uh, let's definitely do that, and because uh, I'm always want to check up on my Knicks, on uh, the Knicks, your Knicks, and see how they're doing. Um, certainly, there's the name parallel. So, uh, yeah, I'm mixed to see because I'm on the line here. I did a breakdown uh, a month ago about Rose and Hornacek, and I
0: was pretty positive in it. So. Um, yeah. Listen, I'm hopeful. I think, uh, look, if we can, I, I still go back and say, you know, 60% of Derek Rose is three times Jose Calderon. Uh,
1: yes. Uh, to quote uh, Chevy Chase, I was told there'd be no math. But yes, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. can follow that. Um, 60% of Rose is. Three times better than Calderon. Yes, let's. Uh, that will be the quote in the Twitter. You know, when we when we do the uh, the link out on Twitter for this. Okay, podcast. good. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, well, thanks for coming on the show, John. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you're in LA, you got to check them out at the Comedy Store. Uh, tell us again when you're uh, preparing.
0: Uh, I'm at the Laugh Factory. Oh, Laugh Factory. Uh, pretty Excuse much me. every week when I'm in town, they do the schedule week to week. But the Food Network Worst Ho- uh, Worst Cooks starts airing uh, this Wednesday.
1: All right. Well, we'll definitely check that out. And I might you know, have to get over there to uh, to check out one of your sets. Cause, uh, yeah, please. I'm, You're welcome I'm,
0: anytime. I'm down the road. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks right, again. You
1: got it. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in?